You're listening to The 21st Folio, a podcast about modern Shakespeare productions of stage and screen. The podcast is a subsidiary of The Seventh Row, an online publication dedicated to interdisciplinary film and theater criticism. You can find us on Twitter at Seventh Row with the number seven spelled out or online at seventh-row.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-H-Row.com. Part of the reason that I wanted to talk about the role of Buckingham in both productions is because it varies hugely from production to production. Sure. And in the Sam Mendes, Kevin Spacey production, it was one of the weakest Buckinghams I've ever seen. Huh. The man was almost peripheral, you know? That's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was every single person in the Rich of the Three I saw it. Um, Stratford with Shauna McKenna, who was great, but all of the other characters, I saw it with my dad who'd never seen Richard III, and he was like flipping through the program trying to be like, so sorry, who is this and how are they related? And I was like, just Mm -hmm. don't even, it's... It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. He's just going to kill them all. (laughs) (laughs) They're all in trouble is what you need to know. Yeah. That's shit because Buckingham is such a great part, like in the right hands. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought in in the McKellen... I thought actually both of these Buckinghams were really good. Absolutely. And in prep for this, I was reading the IMDb profile for the Olivier and apparently uh, Olivier wanted Orson Welles to be his Buckingham. And, <laughs> and the guy, who, and the guy who ended up playing, um, oh, what the heck is his name? Uh, Ralph Richardson was based, who played Buckingham in the Olivier was like, uh, I would actually really love to play Buckingham. And Olivier was like, okay, you can play it. And in his autobiography, he wrote, I regret that. I should have just told him to F himself and I should have gotten Orson Welles. And it's like, I hope Ralph Richardson is dead because that's a really mean thing to say to someone who is actually pretty good. Also, Orson Welles would have been amazing. Right? I mean, I think the that's scenery what- scenery chewing that would have oh been God, going on. Two of them. Well, like, yeah, but yes. you know, they never would have agreed to be in the same movie together. That's true. Like two egos that large could not have been on the same set at the same time. Well, no. how much this this that version weighed in at what two hours forty minutes? Just imagine. I mean, add twenty minutes for that scene where oh god, he seduced <laughs> right before. Don't add. Don't add. <laughs> where he's like, "Won't you take the crown? Would you enforce me to a world of kids?" Right before Olivier does his um uh the Hunchback of Notre Dame reference, where he slides down the bell pole on the rope. That scene would have taken about an hour and a half. That's <laughs> it. They would have cut everything else other than that scene. Well, actually, maybe that would have been an improvement as long as cuts were made. I mean, it would have been hilarious is the point that I'm trying to make. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, just other Buckingham things. I don't know. Like, I thought, I, I will say for the Olivier, like that scene before that where they're talking about what a bunch of idiots all the civilians are and how nobody's cheering for him. I love that. Buckingham's just walking around. He gets like a piece of toast and he gets a glass of wine and he's like, oh yeah, they're all idiots. They're not listening to me, but here's what we're going to do. I've never really seen it played that way where Buckingham's not worried about it. And Richard is, Mm -hmm. that was really interesting. And it gave Buckingham a little bit of 
gravitas, which I thought was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, going back to our Nazi situation, even though the <laughs> McKellen version is like, Nazis are all over the place, let's do some Nazi references. In the Olivier version, Buckingham is much more like a Goebbels, you know? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. In that he's just... in. <sighs> He's driving the bus in some ways. Like he's yeah. pl- he plays politics better than he plays the nuances of the politics better than Richard does. Like he has just such contempt for everyone because he is confident in his ability to manipulate. Yeah, mm. and I think that makes for an interesting Buckingham, right? Because he's he climbs as high as he can, mm-hmm. and then gets out. At, he's one of the o- probably the only person in this play who gets out at the right time. It's like, oh, I know I've seen this movie before. I know how this is going to go. Bye. <laughs> See you in France. Yeah. Uh, although I did think it was really interesting and it showed the relationship that Buckingham that or the the feelings that Richard had for Buckingham in the Olivier when there when all the that scene where all the messengers are coming in and they're like everything's terrible messenger 2 everything is even worse messenger 3 this is the worst thing in the world we're totally screwed and then the fourth messenger comes in and he's like we caught Buckingham and <laughs> then there's like a 20 second beat mm-hmm. and then Olivier's like off with his head Usually that's done like as a culmination, like it's all building up to off with his head and then you're off. But that Olivier took that moment to be like, you see him think about all the things Buckingham did and he really makes like a based internal choice to be like, if you don't weigh in, you can't wrestle. You got to get your head cut off. That's it. Sorry. It also adds 20 unnecessary seconds to the production in a series of choices <laughs> that add 20 unnecessary seconds to the production. But I thought it was an interesting choice in a vacuum. Um, yeah. that's how, that's Peter how Jackson get... of the 1950s. Right? <laughs> um, I, thought, I thought that... Uh, I actually liked both of them. I thought Ralph Richardson from the Olivier was good. I thought he had his moments, but I thought that um, uh, Jim Broadbent, I thought he was excellent. He just felt like he really felt like, you know what you were saying before about how Buckingham as the Goebbels has strengths that complement Richards. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that he did a good job of being like, I've been in the boardrooms and I've been in the back channel. While you were out there winning the War of the Roses, I was doing back channel politics and I can help you out with that. And I felt like that read really clear in the Broadbent uh, Buckingham. Yes. One of the interesting things about Buckingham is that I've seen portrayals that do sort of the full spectrum of Buckingham. The Kevin Spacey one, Buckingham was like, virtually indistinguishable from all the other support characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it like literally was like, Oh, those are Buckingham's lines. That's who he is. Mm. Whereas I saw a production at the globe theater, which is really interesting where Buckingham was the eminence, eminence, like he orchestrated the whole thing. He was by far the most powerful figure. Richard was sort of putty in his hands. And the unfortunate part was then Richard got the crown and was like, all right, I'm going to run stuff now. Oh, interesting. Fundamentally a weak person. Mm -hmm. This Buckingham, I think that I agree with everything you said about Jim Broadbent's portrayal. Um, I just like to add that like this Buckingham, like 
thought he was special and came to the rude realization that he was merely another one of Richard's henchmen. Mm-hmm. I, I thought think it was- that comes into how he gets introduced too, because often you'll see Buckingham and Richard, you know, thick as thieves. And this Buckingham took a while to surface. Like you see him in the party at the beginning, but it takes a while before you actually figure out, oh, okay, that's Buckingham. Okay, that's what this is what's going on. And then his sort of big big moment is when he is with the prayer book scene where he they're setting yeah. up what's going on and then they look and they see that people are coming and then they start walking and doing their little planned scene for them. Yeah, the right. little setup. And then it's not a surprise to us anyway when Richard is like, ha, ha, you thought I was really going to give you that? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> no. Like, the, like, one of the things that I love about McKellen's Richard is that he's just, they establish him very honest, just casually cruel. He's mm-hmm. not sadistic. He doesn't take delight in cruelty. He just sort of thinks it's funny. Like, in that scene where he meets Terrell for the first time and Terrell is throwing apples to the boar. Mm-hmm. You see Richard aim and throw and hit the creature. Yeah. Because he thinks it's funny. And it's like, it's not, it's not like he was never planning to give Buckingham the earldom. It's just that at that moment, he's sort of like, whatever. He wasn't in the vein. He yeah, was, he was not in the giving vein that day. He was very clear about that. Sort of like, fuck you, buddy. You got me on the wrong day. Ask me tomorrow. You should yeah. find me a grave man. That's a different play. Yeah. Whereas the Olivier, I feel like the Olivier Richard had much more purpose to everything he did. You know, there was nothing offhand about his cruelty. It was always to an end or fundamental, right? Like he, he either was using it for his own personal ends or got something out of it on a fundamental level. Right. He wasn't, he wasn't, enjoying being evil like he the olivier richard wouldn't have spiked an apple off of a pig's head just for funzos you know he's like what is that that doesn't help me no i don't care i don't care about that pig and i don't care about this apple i have things to do whereas richard is a permanent power trip so Mm -hmm. all right like i mean mckellen's richard i mean is on a permanent power trip so right just seeing what he can get away with um Sadism for him isn't so much enjoyable as, like, merely just another manifestation of what he wants. Right. That's part of his deal. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is, an, this is a good segue, if we want to segue, into what we were talking about, the secondary characters mm. and, like, separating them out. Because I totally agree that in the – I mean, it's funny because in the in the McKellen, I knew that it was going to be I, – I knew Buckingham just because – I know Jim Broadbent from Mulan, watching Mulan Rouge 900 times as a high schooler. So, of course, I'm like, well, Jim Broadbent's not just here for fun. Like, he's yeah. going to be something good. But in the Olivier, when they cut no secondary characters, and it's like, oh, Dorset and Ratliff and literally everyone, you're all here. Where's Buckingham? Which one of you pasty white guys is going to be the interesting one? And it takes a while for him to, like, show up. And I think that's a problem throughout the Olivier that all of the secondary characters are all kind of the same. And I don't, I didn't really know who they were until their scenes, even like Clarence kind of got mushed in. Like I couldn't really, other than Edward, 
and Mistress Shore <laughs> and Richard. Like everyone else is just kind of in a group. Whereas in the McKellen, you know, as evidenced by, I thought they did an excellent job of laying the groundwork for the arc of the story as a whole, where like yeah. you have just the fact that they have young Elizabeth who's going to marry Buckingham at the end. I'm sorry, that is going to marry right. Richmond. Richmond. That she's there from the beginning and Richmond yeah. is there from the beginning. And just yeah, like this making random it, lady who shows up. Yeah. Right. Just making it crystal clear through the whole arc. And they do that so many times with the princes. They do that with Stanley and they show young George Stanley with his little JFK junior reference with the pea coat and the waving. And it's like, Oh, that poor kid. Oh, he's totally going to get his head chopped off. But I thought they did <laughs> such a nice job of, clarifying like yeah. this is who this person is and this is how this person knows here when we talk about that this is the connection i thought they did a really nice job of making a very complicated series of characters clean and in a way that you could follow what the heck is going on yeah i think one of the things mccallan said was that that was part of the reason they wanted to do set it in the 1930s was to make class clear and they mm -hmm. did a really good job of doing that like you can tell who Catesby is totally, just by yeah. the fact that he's clearly in servant dress. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, you know, just the fact that they, everybody's always going Catesby, Catesby. Mm -hmm. um, and then that just, you know, clears it up quickly. And then the fact that, you know, you can see the kind of clothing that Lady Anne is wearing. She's in furs when she's looking at her husband, that tells mm -hmm. you something about who she is and, and her, her class. Um, I think that all was really quite, helped to really clarify it. And what you had said earlier, Kevin, about um, Elizabeth being American and her American mm -hmm. brother. Yeah. Like, and Robert Downey Jr., of course, because why wouldn't Iron Man be in here? Come on, come on down. Well, like, bless <laughs> his heart, Robert Downey Jr., but he is so outclassed by literally everybody Oh, else. my God. Yeah, I well, know. He's but... trying so hard. It's so <laughs> it's he is sweet. the Keanu of this film. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just trying so hard. But Except that, that he's like totally forgettable because he doesn't even have enough lines to be terrible. I know. But in that manifesto where they talk about that Ian McKellen offered it to him, like thinking he'd say no, and then he cleared his schedule to do it. Oh, right. I missed, I yeah, I where he was that. like, because they did a movie together that same year and Ian McKellen was like, hey, you're probably not interested because it's such a tiny part, but I need an American to play rivers. Do you want to do it? And he's like, absolutely. And he like left another film to do it. And I think that's, <laughs> well, at least he has taste. Yeah. Right. I think that's awesome. And, you know, especially, you know, it's not like it was the Robert Downey jr. In 1995, Richard, the third, which would be a nightmare. Like if he's going to be rivers and it's just like, okay, like who would that have been? It would have been, you know, someone of no note probably. So it's like how we get, you get that scene where the plane lands, and it's like, holy crap, Robert Downey Jr. is in this movie? Okay, cool. That's fun. All right. Also, they did such a wonderful job of, A, establishing Rivers as just this idiot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and B, there's that scene in which um, King Edward comes in, and Elizabeth hugs Edward, and they pan to Robert Downey Jr. just looking at them like, hands off. You're like... Incest vibes. Okay. Cool. Love those. Lo all, what's Shakespeare without an incest vibe? That's important. Honestly. Uh, <laughs> it, does, it does go far to explain why the hell Rivers is there in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he's her brother. He could be anywhere. But they are 
very peculiarly close as siblings. Mm -hmm. I also thought it was interesting. I mean, we kind of, in, in terms of the cuts, additions, amendments to the script, the fact that they kill rivers in that McKellen. And then also the news comes back that it was Buckingham and Richard that did it because Mm -hmm. in the text, they just imprison him. Mm -hmm. And so then when lady gray is like, who imprisoned Rivers? They're like, it was Richmond, uh, Richard and Buckingham. She's like, I do foresee the downfall of our house. But it makes sense why they would be like, who imprisoned him? Well, Richard did, of course. He impri- that's who has the authority. But when it's like, who killed him? It's like, oh, yeah, it was Richard. I read about it in the paper. It's like, like, how did that get back to anybody? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? That is it, one of the plot holes. Yeah, it's like, oh, cool. I guess everybody knows. I guess when you stab someone through the heart from under a bed Bed. while they're in flagrante, you know, it's like, oh, that was was Richard under the bed? Or I guess it was Tyrrell, the black angel of death in that production. By the way, how the hell did Tyrrell get from like outside the hall to under the bed without anybody? (laughs) That's a great question. Like, there don't appear to be any other doors in that room. Maybe Has an invisibility you know, cloak. You know, Maybe you see. Shadow. I don't know. You see the flight attendant that he's hooking or whatever, whatever she because she has that little hat on inexplicably. She flight attendant, yes. Is that what it is? Yeah. So yeah. you know, you see her like crawl out of shot. Maybe that was Tyrrell in a very elaborate costume, and then he just slipped under the bed. <laughs> like he tied her. He tied Robert Downey Jr. up to the bedpost and then slipped under the bed and stabbed him. I love you can't you can't unprove it. You can't disprove it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, I know what that sound means. That means moving on. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, I was going to say about like Richard's infamy. I mean, one of the great moments in the Olivier one is when Richard said, who doesn't know that Clarence is dead? And every single person turns their head mm. in unison and they're all like, what? Well, that scene was so weird in the Olivier. It's the only time I've seen that done where everyone is super disingenuous, where Edward's in bed dying and he's like, everyone make peace. And they're like, uh-huh. I'm super sorry about, uh, yeah, totally. Um, we're totally good. Definitely all set. And it's like, awesome. Yeah, yeah exactly. Middle finger on the, yes, absolutely. Like there is no, there is no trace of it even being close to everyone else being reconciled, which kind of takes away from Richard showing up and being disingenuous. It kind of scoops his thunder. It scoops his heat when everyone else is also underhanded. And that's the end of this episode of the 21st Folio. The next part of the discussion will be available to download on Friday. Keep up with the latest episodes, subscribe to the 21st Folio podcast on iTunes. For show notes and more information about the podcast, please visit 7th-row.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-H-R-O-W.com. Mm-hmm.